Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons and a 25% discount on future promotional products. Thank you for listening. Greg German has been touring worldwide, playing the drums for various touring productions for the past 15 years. He grew up in Deer Park, Long Island, attended Queens College, started composing film scores, and played with various artists in New York City, and subbed at various Broadway shows. Over his career, he's performed with such artists as Ben Vereen, Sir Roland Hanna, Antonio Hart, Jimmy Heath, and many, many others. When he came back to New York City after touring with the show Wicked, the beginnings of his debut album, Tales of Time, was conceived. This album, Tales of Time, conveys that he's more than just a sideman who can play a part in a Broadway pit. He's also a band leader and a solo artist. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg German. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today is Greg German. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's been a while since we've seen each other in person, and we've been trying to get this podcast together for months, but due to scheduling conflicts and other things, that didn't happen, but it's happening now. Better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you were born in Long Island. Long Island, yep. Yep. Born and raised. And being in Long Island... People generally have houses. Did you have a musical memory where you saw somebody playing drums at another person's house? Did you see somebody on TV? Did you have a musical family? What was your What was your thing that made you say, you know what, I want to play drums? I don't know. Actually, kind of all of the above. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the thing is, my, my father uh, is a musician. So my dad is a saxophone player. His name is Ray German. And he uh, used to play with Lionel Hampton's band. You know, he used to work for, um, there was this contractor like before, before like Keller and those guys, there was this guy named Mel Rodman. 
a Rodman. And he he'd sort of did all the Westchester. So my dad actually did play with the Temptations. Like oh, wow. and he would get hired to play like with the horn section, you know, like, you know, do like a one-off or whatever in Westchester. And, and so, you know, music was always in my house. And, but the thing that's funny is my dad was sort of a, um, you know, like kind of like a jazz, uh, <laughs> jazz is like jazz and nothing else kind of thing. So, well, not that jazz and nothing else, but like, he didn't want me to just listen to like rap music and heavy metal and all that stuff. So when I started playing drums at school, he made me a mixtape that had like, you know, Joe Henderson, Buddy Rich, you know, and hearing Buddy Rich was like the thing that heard, made me go, okay, he's just playing rudiments just a lot faster and a lot cleaner than I probably ever will. <laughs> but it inspired, you know, it was that choice of like, I can inspire to be, try to be great like that or just be like, eh, I don't need to do this. <laughs> So I decided, you know, like, I think it was like the bugle call rag. And he, I heard him go, blah, 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 Like, it's all like flams. And I'm like, that's amazing. You know, I was like, I want to do that, you know. Um, and then um, the first drummer I saw live was actually Billy Cobham. And I just remember, was it the Red Baron? The one he played, the, the double bass thing at the very end. I was just like, oh, I've never seen that before. That's so cool. Um, and then the next, the next like big thing that I remember, I mean, I saw a lot of concerts, but the thing that really hit me was, I think I was a junior in high school and that's when the, the Miles Davis tribute band came out. And that was like Tony Williams, Wallace Roney, uh, Mulder, uh, uh, no, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter and Ron Carter. But what was cool about, Westbury's, they did the thing where like Tony would play and he'd face you and then they would shift it and then you see the side of it and then they shift it again and then you see him from the back. Oh just, my God. Like, all of that, like Tony, like at all the angles, and all, you know, it was like the coolest, it was just the coolest thing. and the, the energy and just the, the, the ferocity he played with the, the vibe, you know, everything just, oh, it's wonderful. Wait, that's you know, it's the same thing. The way he plays the rudiments, just like you know, switch all the triplets around the drums, but it's it's still the same stickings. It's just he does it differently, you know. So then I started connecting the dots. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that was that theater, that theater that's in the round in in <laughs> Long Island. Oh yeah. yeah, I played there once, and it's very cool to to have that stage turn around. Man, that must have been a treat to actually watch Tony Williams from all different angles before YouTube. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It was way before YouTube. <laughs> I mean, back in, when I was in high school, I used to, I used to come home every day and there was this video. If anyone's a Tony Williams fan, it's like one of my favorite things. It was, uh, it's called uh, Tony Williams live. I might even be on YouTube now, but live in New York. And he just plays like this opening drum solo, like, and it's like, it's just the power he played with, but so clean at the same time. And, and he's doing like, you know, he's, eventually he plays, I think, like Blackbird and songs that you know, but he does like different jazz arrangements of it and stuff. It's just a really cool, and just getting this, I would just watch it and like see how he like moved around the drums and just try to emulate, go down, then I go downstairs in the basement and try to emulate that for like the next two hours and, you know, do the same. Yeah, I kind of did that like every day for like months and it became obsessed with this video, <laughs> you know, like the whole concert. So I didn't know about Tony Williams until... I was working at a record store in the uh, late 80s after college. Mm. And uh, one of the guys that I worked with was a big 
jazz fanatic. He's a drummer also. And he introduced me to some Billy Cobham stuff like you talked about. And and he talked about, yeah, and then when Tony Williams played with Miles, I was like, okay, Tony who? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe I didn't know who Tony Williams was. But, man, he laid like eight records on me. And the thing that stood out to me was the uh, Believe It record. Oh, yeah. I was just a fan ever since. And he, you know, people ask, him, ask me what my top five drummers are. I say Tony Williams, Tony Williams, Tony Williams, Tony Williams, <laughs> Tony Williams. <laughs> I just, you know, I can't play like him. And I, every time I see footage of him, I'm like, I, I can't believe it. It's just amazing. Just like everything you described, just very rudimental, but clean, but just in a, he did it in a very unique way. And yeah. Fascinating stuff. So, But it was funny because there was always like stories of him, like, you know, he, you know, cause he was playing with Miles when he was 16 and everyone thought he was like, this like super like jazz head. And well, he had like, big, like posters of the Beatles, like hanging on his walls. And cause, cause he was a kid, you know, he, he emulated Ringo. He wanted to be like Ringo Starr, which is kind of really fascinating. It was so fascinating. I read, I read that in Modern Drummer. I don't, you know, I never asked him about it, mm. <laughs> but, but I read that in Modern Drummer and he said he had like, you know, photos of like posters of like Billy Cop of, uh, sorry, Beatles. In his room. It's know. probably why I, I like his style because he's not uh, the typical, I shouldn't say the typical jazz player, but that time period, and he was, you know, on the forefront of what they call fusion, and he right. would play really aggressive and hard, and he had big drums and big cymbals, and I'm like, that is cool. And why do you have to have, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions about jazz and, and people that are, are only specifically jazz players, and they just want to emulate things from like 1945 to 1959 uh, anything after that is it's not cool well, I should say 1969 but it's like he was so unique and so different and I just like the way his hi-hats would just f- <laughs> flail around and oh my god I just love his aggressiveness so it's interesting you say that his influences were rock people but let me go back to you you said sure. that you were not allowed to listen to like rock well, and, was, and I was, was fr- frowned upon I was listening to my the, like the Beastie Boys, you know, where you know, not um uh, we got to write the party and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like that, I would like put it, my dad would just be like, <laughs> I can't listen to this, and and he's like Gregory, if you're gonna play drums, you know, that's when you know you're mad, you know, Gregory, Gregory, <laughs> play the drums. You have to like learn this. This is like these are the guys you got to listen. You know, he sort of just was like, in some ways, it's it was cool because he sort of like put me in a direction. To, to check out some stuff, but unfortunately, the unfortunate part about that is that sometimes musically, I could, it was hard for me to connect with people that were my own age. You know, I mean, I was, there was a club out there called Sonny's Place. And part of the reason why I became a musician was honestly because I loved the hang. So I would go to Sonny's Place and I'd be like this 15 year old kid and play. And I, I got like accepted, like, oh man, you, you, you sound good, kid. You know, come hang out with us at the diner. We're going to get fries and some chicken sandwiches and complain about our wives or whatever they can do, you know? <laughs> and, but just talk about music or whatever. And it was just, I, I felt, I felt like a sense of belonging there. And that's, that's sort of like what made me go, yeah, I really want to like pursue this. You know, it wasn't, it, the music was, was a lot of it, but a lot of it also was the people that I was uh, connecting with. And I felt that sense of connection with a lot of people, a lot of people that were like, you know, 
at that time probably 20 years older than me, but they were still, you know, they were still cool. They were, they, they didn't treat me like, you know, I don't know. They didn't treat me terribly. They treat me, they treat me, they treated me better than people at, like that I went to school with, you know? <laughs> so other, besides Tony Williams and Billy Cobham, who were some of your other earlier drumming influences? Oh, well, um, well, Elvin Jones, for sure. Um, but also like, um, Lenny White. I mean, it was a lot, David Garibaldi probably was probably the biggest. Cause even though I, cause my dad's a horn player, you always put on like, um, the Tower of Power records and, uh, stuff like that. And also, um, I gotta think, what did I listen to back then? Uh, but actually Tito Puente, my dad played in Tito Puente's band for a little bit. So that was, that was, he was a big influence. Um, just like, it was kind of cool getting like to hear like the Latin stuff and also the, um, different diffusion stuff came later, like Chick Corea, you know, now he sings, now he sobs. Um, and, um, the fusion, like the air to stuff with, um, light as a feather. That was like, sort of like senior year high school. Um, so yeah, I guess Ayerto would have to be up there. Um, Lenny white, you know, cause of the, the uh, some of that Chick Corea, like, um, uh, return for like was it Return Forever, Romantic Warriors stuff like that. Um, those kind of th- those kind of things were uh, in- big influences for me back then too. That's a, wow, it's hard to think. That's like thirty years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> so after high school, you were like, you know, I want to play music for a living. I, you know, I want to play Broadway shows for a living. <laughs> or, I don't know. <laughs> actually, actually, that was not the case at all. But but. I, I want, and, and well, the, the whole thing about, I guess for me, is you just adapt to your life. Like I was pursuing a bunch of, I was, so like after like college, I was in town playing jazz gigs, but it was just tough to like make a living doing it. You know, it was like, I would, I would do like three, four gigs, you know, a week or whatever, but I was making like $200 and it's like, it's hard to make that stretch, you know? And even though, and those, like some of those gigs were like, you know, you play at the Blue Water Grill for like six hours and you're just playing rushes and you can't even hear yourself. And it, it just didn't feel like musically gravid, uh, um, satisfying. So I, I, um, I did this, the, the um, let me rewind a second. So when I was in college. Where'd you go to college, by the way? Queens College. Okay. So when I went to um, Queens College, Someone called the school and said, hey, I need a drummer for this musical. Can you recommend anybody? And I was an undergraduate and I was playing all the jazz recitals and they knew that I would do, you know, I, I, list, I just, for me, I just liked learning music. I, I didn't necessarily care what it was, but I liked the, the process of, of sort of figuring it out. I mean, that's what's, I always tell people when they ask about like music education and, and schools and stuff, it's, it's not so much about being the greatest musician or greatest player when you're teaching these kids, but it's about the critical thinking. You're trying to teach them how to take this page of music and then sort of problem solve it, break it down and do all these different things and then come back and, and perform it. Right. So anyway, this, this secretary uh, 
recommends me to this person. I go out there and I do this musical out in like Bethpage called the it girl. And, uh, you know, it was like every weekend for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And then fast forward, like six months later, the guy calls me and says, Hey, uh, this is Jeff. Do you want to do this, get this tour? I'm like, what? Okay, sure. Like, what is it? It's like nine months tour with the big apple circus. I'm like, Oh, so he, he became like this like guy that like he was subbing like Beauty and the Beast in town and he um, just music directed this little show. And then he gets his offer to do Big Alpha Circus. And then, you know, the rest, that's what's got me started on that touring journey, you know, and, um, you know, it was great. I was able to, to, to graduate school with, with no debt and stuff like that. So um and then, you know, the rest, the rest is history, but you know, there's a lot of like, I can, I can trace my career to like certain choices or points, you know, like I'm sure we all can. <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell me about playing for like the big apple circus or, you know, any kind of circus in general, you know, I don't know if there is any parallels between playing for the big apple circus and playing for a Broadway show. Is it more like you have to follow the conductor and you have to watch what's going on? Because what I heard from, I forgot who it was that I talked to a, a long time ago about this, is that you have to keep playing and then keep playing that groove. And then you see, you know, something happen. You, you got to hit a splash or hit a crash cymbal as you're doing it. And it's just, it's just a very odd thing. So tell me about circus drumming. Okay. Yeah. Well, parallel. The first parallel is get your head out of the book as fast as you can. Like, because the whole thing with circus drumming and actually my, my circus drumming and, and, and my first touring Broadway show, that skill came in incredibly handy. Um, and I'll get to that in a second, but, but for circus drumming, just get your head out of the book. You have to watch the acts, you know, every time the person flips on a, on a trampoline or, or does something, you know, you just have to watch, what's going on and hit all the action and sort of almost not worry so much about the groove because the, the action is more important than the grooves themselves. The grooves you play, but the rest of the band is sort of still playing while you got to like do these weird things that may not even be in time at all, you know? Um, or you try to find a way to make it in time, but have like a weird syncopation or like, you know, like <laughs> you keep, you know, depending on the song, um, you know, like we, like we did this one thing. It was like, um, a tramp, a guy bouncing on the trampoline. Right. And it was the, 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 what well, we were playing this, we were playing this song basically uh, called what a day for a daydream. So like, like the kind of like a, a two beat kind of thing. And then I'm just like, every time the guy, I mean, the guy would literally be like, Greg, when, you, when I wiggle my finger like this, I need cow, I need cowbells and woodblocks. Like, rolls on the cowboy and like i'm look, you know i'm looking at a monitor that's like you know he's like this big on the monitor <laughs> he's like oh, you know it's like it's like that sort of thing you know but like you know it's like well okay i have to see what he's doing so like, you know it, it, that's what it, that's what that gig was you know there were other things where like the, the the juggler would be juggling and he's like every time i spin around give me like a like you know i do like a five-stroke roll into like a a symbol, you know, 
Yeah. And it doesn't matter like where it was in the group. But the thing that was cool about it is we were playing, um, this guy, Michael Amendola wrote the music. So we'd be playing the cold sweat grooves, but then on top of the cold sweat grooves, they'd be playing uh, this monk tune called Bemsha Swing. So it'd be like, right? So we play like this like groove, but then like every time the guy would slip around, but sha, sha, sha. Oh my God. Wow. And it, it sort of like, it sort of like got you sort of just comfortable with like, sort of like keeping the time going, but just like subdivide, trying to subdivide. I try to find ways to subdivide where that feels worse so I could always get back, you know? Um, but sometimes, you know, it just wouldn't happen. I let the band do it. And then when I, when I knew where they were, I, I just come back, you know, um, depending on the, depending on the, the thing. Cause some of that stuff is all crazy and you just, but it's all about getting your head out of the book. That's what I'm trying to say. That's my point of the thing. It's just, and, and, you know, when you, when you play a Broadway show, you know, depending on the show, you have to watch the conductor, you know, it's a lot of times with the clicks and stuff, it's, it's a little different, but, but like, you know, what the show that I'm summing on now is Aladdin and it's all just, trying to follow the conductor as best you can and you know just know that okay this is an eight bar phrase okay <laughs> you know while you're playing and you know try to have as much as you can memorized so you can make adjustments now my first touring broadway show the reason why i said it ties together because my the the horn player on um the big apple circus ended up doing the non-act tour of Fosse. And that whole show is like, when I, when I do this, you're hitting a triangle. You know, anytime the dancer did something, you had to, the percussion or the drums sort of makes, you know, makes all the hits to really accentuate what the dancers are doing. So, you know, and there was a song called Perk 4, which just a drum solo. And at one point, the guy does like this like thing where he's like, does like, it's not really a pratfall, but he does like a, a fall where he's like spinning and then eventually he stops. So you have to just like look up at the monitor and just like try to like go with whatever he does and stop whenever he stops, you know? So that, that's like, I was like, oh, this is like the circus, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, and there was another point where like we were playing damn Yankees, and every time the dancers would like run and jump and do like, you know, a, a, a big jump in the thing, you'd have to hit a cymbal. You know, did it, it wasn't actually written in the music when they would do it. It just says watch the video. You know, it was that kind of thing. And I had to replace somebody because there was an issue. So, like, it was like I had to learn the whole thing in, like, in a week and a half. And my first, my first gig was, you know, <laughs> my first gig was my first rehearsal. Well, rehearsal, quote, unquote, was, was the first show. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah. They, like, tech the show. Cause they were on a layoff with the tech show that day. And then the first actual performance was that night, but I had to like, know it. And that's sh that show. Also, there's that like, like 15 minute version of sing, 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 where you play get up get, and the dancers keeps doing this. It's like hits galore that don't actually make tons of sense musically, but it's when you watch it, you go, okay. You know? So I think that, that, that the two things correlated very early for me. Um, as far as like, you know, the hits are almost, the action on stage is almost more important than the music, unfortunately. But that's sort of how the business is a little bit, you know. 
So for those people that don't know what it's like being on a tour of a Broadway show, what's a typical week like? Depends on the tour. But most, most tours, you travel Monday. Now, if you have a pickup band or you have a self-contained band, there's two, there's, those are two different kinds of things. Self-contained is when everybody on the tour travels. A pickup band is when you, you have to pick up musicians in every city. So that changes a lot of things because that means if you have a self-contained band, your Tuesday is pretty clear until sound check. So it's kind of nice because you can go out on Monday night and have a night, and especially after a long travel day, you know, you can kind of rest up a little bit. But if you do the other tour where it's a pickup band, you know, often on my last tour, I, was, I did a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I would, I would land the plane, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> would get off the plane, go to the airport, <laughs> you know, go to the hotel, um, you know, eat some dinner. And then I'd go to the theater and set up the rehearsal kit. And then, you know, I was also a librarian, so I'd go and hand out the music. And then I would, I would go home, try to get some sleep. And then at like seven o'clock the next morning on Tuesday, I would go try to set up the actual drums in the pit. And then we'd rehearse from like nine to two, right? And then pack everything up, try to get a bite to eat or something. Then we have sound check from like 3.30 to 5. And then you have a couple hours and then the show is usually at like 7, 7.30, you know. And so it's a long, really long Tuesday. But then the rest of the week is like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five show weekend. But then the difference between Broadway and touring also is that you do the five show weekend then you got to pack up your drums. Then you have to go back to the hotel and pack up your life, <laughs> you know, and then go to, the, go to the airport and, you know, rinse and repeat. So it, the, 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 the touring with the pickup bands is, can be pretty exhausting, you know? So the worst part, I guess, is the Sunday evening through, through Tuesday evening. Yeah. Yeah. On those tours, on those tours, it's, it can be, it's a lot. It can, it can really wear on you. You know, when you have when you have weeks, like multiple week cities, then it's cool because then you get a Monday off. You kind of like recuperate a little bit. But there are times where they, you know, the tour is like one week. The stops only one week long. And there was one point in the last tour we did like seven weeks in a row of just one weekers. It was, you know, by the time you like, I'm cool for about the first month, but after like that, you start like going. But you're also playing the same music every day. You know, you got to find ways to like keep it fresh. And it's, it's, it's really just getting through the rehearsal that's hard because a lot of times it's just, you know, I can get myself up with the performance, but sometimes it's hard to get, get uh, super focused for the rehearsal because it's such a, you're still exhausted from the, the five show weekend plus the travel. So it's sort of like, I, I don't mean that, I don't mean I'm like not focused, but it's just sort of like, as far as the amount of focus, I start, I try to, save a save it for the actual shows in a way if that makes any sense like you got to learn how to pace yourself in a way because it's just men mentally mentally and, but i know and. at least for me that's how that's how it was i don't know about other guys that tour a lot but for me you know on the other tours where it's like just the sound check it's no problem because it's just eight show weeks you know even if there's a problem and a lot of times too with the travel like traveling there were weeks where like we were supposed to leave at like you know 11 12 o'clock and there were like problems with the plane or whatever. And we got in at like, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning and then still have to do the same setup, 
you know, it's at like seven o'clock, you know, get up at seven o'clock in the morning. And then you're trying to get through that Tuesday with like very little sleep, you know? And on top of that, when you go to these different cities and you have pickup bands, you're playing with an entire, an entirely new group of people. And you have to adjust to to them. And especially if you're working with a new percussionist, Mm -hmm. it could be very, very challenging. Man, that's, Mm -hmm. I, so you did the Big Apple Circus and you, the first, the first tour was Fosse, you said? Fosse, yeah, the Nonic tour of Fosse, yeah. And the difference between, to explain to people what a non-equity tour as opposed to an equity tour is, you would say? Sure. Pay, say <laughs> um, so pay is, is the biggest difference. <laughs> it's probably well one of them. The other, the other, the other thing about it is the amount of time you stay in a city, and the cities you go to. You know, um, they were, and and also on on Fosse, you know, the first year that I did was like six months of what they call one nighters. So basically, like you're living on a bus, like that you stay in a hotel on nights, but then you get up at like you know six o'clock seven o'clock to get on a bus to eight and then you're like you know you go to like evansville indiana or is it illinois i don't remember. i don't even remember that's what i mean there's so many there's so many cities i don't even remember like where exactly they are which states they're in because there's this whole like like you know you get to this point where you're like what day is it and then you're like you're driving from like you know uh there's this like little area in the, in the country that's midwest like you go to like Huntington, West Virginia, and then you're going somewhere in Ohio, and then you go to Indiana, and then you go. It's never just like boop, 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 like a circle. It's always like you have to go. It's always eight hours away. <laughs> you know, it's always, it always seems like it's eight hours away on a bus or six hours on a bus, and it's a lot of like stopping at like strip malls to like you know just try to get something. So like you know, and basically on those tours, you're you're doing, you know, you're you're dropping your stuff off. And then going right to the sound check, set up the drums, you, you know, and then you get like an hour off and then you do the show. And it's like every day, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm glad when I did that, I was 25, 26. I don't know if I could, I don't know if my body would handle that as well now, to be honest, you know. Um, and the union tours, I mean, the big thing that's great of the union tours is you get pension and health insurance, all that stuff too, which is great. Like, um, you gotta, you gotta work a certain amount of weeks to get that and you get, start getting vacation pay. And, you know, I, 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 I remember when I text, uh, dirty rotten scoundrels. And I guess it, was, it took a couple weeks for, like to get into the payroll, but it was my first like union, union, like gig like that. And I, you know, I, I'd done a couple off Broadway shows at that point and tech them and stuff. But when I got that paycheck, it was like, <laughs> I was like, that much? Because you know, at that time, they, you know, I was checking the, the ten out of twelves and all that stuff too. You know, so, so like, I was like, oh, that's amazing, you know. But um, but you know, I I would say also a bigger actually a big difference when I started. It's probably it's different now, but when I started, all the all the people on the um, the union tours were older. Like they tend to be. When I started, they would like, when I did Scoundrels, I think I was the only person under 40 in the band. You know, now pretty much, I feel like everyone's under 30. (laughs) (laughs) Another question. 
if somebody wants to do this and, you know, is in high school or in college and they're like, you know what, I'd love to play a tour of a Broadway show. How does one go about securing a gig on a tour? Well, I'd say the first, the first thing is you have to let people know that you're interested to do that. You know, I mean, the hard, the hard thing, the hardest thing about Broadway for, for me, I think starting was just figuring out the scene, if that makes sense. Like, okay, you come to New York and there's all these shows and all these people that are, you, there's all these musicians, right? But you don't know who's really doing the show. You know, you got to join the union and find out who's doing this. And, you know, and when I just come up, you hear about John Miller, you hear about Michael Keller. Now, the one, one big advantage that I had was that my father and Michael Keller played in a band together. So, and my dad was really good friends with Michael's brother, Bobby. They both played on Annie together. So there was this whole, like, um, there's this whole story that we can't get, really get into on the podcast, but, but Bobby and Michael have friction. So it, it sort of helped me, but it didn't help me. But when, when there was an audition for the Wicked tour back in, back when Gary left, Gary, Gary left to do Tarzan and then Matt Vanderen was going to take over. They were looking for a drummer. And when Keller called me, he's like, wait, is this Ray German's son? <laughs> I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, wow. You know, so like that, that was kind of like uh, um, a funny, a funny coincidence. But when he called me, he didn't really know who I was, but I got recommended by Tommy Igo because I was studying with Tommy Igo at the time. And, um, you know, and that's actually, that's actually another thing is that for me, after the Fosse tour, that playing Sing 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 every day, my hands, I actually was starting to arm problems, you know? And um, so I started studying with Tommy Igo to just help my technique and just sort of get that stuff all situated. So, you know, thanks to Tommy, I'm still playing today, I think, you know? So you, you know. took over for Matt on- no, no, what happened was I didn't get that, I didn't get the gig. Oh, okay, okay. I got the audition. It was, a, it was actually, actually, it was really cool because I got the audition, and I think that's when Darcy McRae got it, got the Wicked tour. And then, um, but it's actually, now that I look back on it, it was probably the best thing because I wasn't really ready for the tour. I wasn't ready for that tour, I should say. Now, why do you think you weren't? Why are they? Because when I did Scoundrels, I, you know, it was like a jazz, it was sort of a jazz kind of show. And the conductor said to me, Grant, everything sounds really good, but you're, you kind of have a little bit of jazz feet. I was like, Oh, okay. So basically I was, I was too light on the kick drum, you know? So then like that kind of got me into like starting to play more heel up, you know, and, and just sort of like, you know, and then I had to learn a few other things. And then the next tour after the scoundrels was Greece. So that was like, you know, playing more, a little heavier, you know, and, um, and it was the Greece that, you know, Clancy had started. So, you know, that, that same, like those arrangements. So, and that, and that led to me doing uh, nine to five. And then eventually nine to five led to Wicked because Aremus heard me play nine to five and was like, oh, you're good. And then he told Keller and, well, actually, actually there was a, um, what do they call that? The, the Stitz Probe? With the, or the orchestra reading, 
And in the in the nine to five reading in Nashville, we're tech, you know, was like Dolly Parton, Stephen Remus, um, Michael Keller, Bruce Coughlin, and uh, you know the music director too, Martin X. And you know, it just goes to show you, you do your homework. You know, that they re orchestrating the show, so I didn't actually have the music for the show, but I took Sean McDaniel, I wrote Sean McDaniel because I knew he did the book, and I transcribed the whole show. <laughs> and basically what they meant by reorchestrate the show was they would just took this part and put it over here, put this part over here. It was still the same music pretty much. But we get to this, it's like a, and I, I, I just love the way that Sean orchestrated the drum parts. So I, I just did it exactly like that. And Bruce Coughlin says in front of the whole band, Guys, play with Greg. He's nailing it. <laughs> and, and that was awesome because he said that in front of all those guys. He said that in front of Dolly Parton, Stephen Ramis, Michael Keller. And then six months later, Michael Keller called me and said, hey, you know, we'd love you to do the Wicked Tour. Are you interested? I was like, yeah. Because <laughs> my tour, we had just gotten our closing notice, so it was like perfect timing, you know? Yeah. yeah. It just goes to show you, like, you do your homework. You put a, Sometimes you put a little extra and you get a lot back. A lot of times when people go out on tours, they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. Did you come back and seek out opportunities to sub on Broadway? No, yes or no. Um, the problem with me was that I, I, would, I would do that when I, we get a closing notice, but then um, sort of what happened with me is my life goal sort of changed a little bit. Um, I, I decided in, mm, I decided like during one of my tours, I, I came home and I did like one of those like gypsy housing things and I stayed at this apartment and I stayed in this apartment and it was like four, like five guys in like one bathroom. And I'm like, and they're all like college kids, which is fine. But then there was one night where like, Sorry, I know it's a family show. But one night I come, I, I get home and there's like a guy like hooking up with a girl on the couch. I'm like, what? Oh, I'm just too old for this. You know, it was just one of those things. I was just home on the layoff for like two weeks, you know? It's like, so can I, I get a break? <laughs> yeah, it's like, right, exactly. And like, so like for me, I was like, at that point, I was like, sort of like, all right, let me see if, let me, if I do like one more tour, I can actually afford to maybe buy a place. You know, so I, I, that's what I sort of did. I, I, I was home for a couple of years and I was doing the wedding band thing. And I was, I was serving for Jared Schoening. It should have been you. And, um, and I was learning Matilda and then, uh, Jay Mack called me to do the if then tour. And I was sort of, sort of that thing where I had some money in the bank, but because I didn't have a job, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, the way the banks look at us. So I was like, all right, well, if I do another tour or two, um, and then, oh, and then so in the middle of the If Then tour, Josh Samuels calls me and said, hey, man, I got called for this thing, but I sort of have to get married. Are you interested? <laughs> so, so I ended up doing the, the Finding Neverland tour, which, started, which also was a chance to work for John Miller, you know, and then that led to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So it's sort of, I've sort of been out of sight, out of mind for a while. So now that the pandemic's happening, um, you know, that kind of screwed things up as far as, you know, because I don't mind being unemployed as long as I'm, I'm 
things are moving in a certain direction. But the pandemic just kind of made everything like there's no network, there's nothing. I could write people, but it's like great to, great to talk to you. We can meet for coffee, but like, you know, I got to kind of like, we can meet for coffee, but you know, nothing's happening. So, you know, but then like the unemployment was over. So then I was just grasping at straws and started doing a lot of like educational stuff and stuff. And then out of the blue, John Redsecker text, you know, say, Hey man, can we talk? And I was like, sure. And then um, he asked me to sub, start subbing at Aladdin and it's been great. It's been great. So I, I'm subbing on one show right now. So the last tour that you did was what? Oh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That and ended October 2019. I did a little research and found another podcast that you were on. You were talking about how during the pandemic, just like a lot of people found other things to do, just like sure. I'm doing this. <laughs> and uh, you decided to do your own thing. And was it was it your first album that you uh, produced or is this just another one of several that you've done? It's the first. And there's a whole, there's a whole story how it actually happened. Um, when I was, when I was doing a lot of, um, jazz things, I was studying with this guy, Clarence Penn, who, who played, you know, he played with Michael Brecker. He played with weather. He, uh, not with, uh, Oh, I think it was, yeah. Um, steps ahead. Sorry. Steps ahead for a while. Um, he used to actually play with, there's a really cool picture of his house and playing with Stanley Clark, you know? Um, and so he was toward, he toured Stanley Clark for a minute too. And, and, um, I ran into him on the wicked tour. I ran into him in Seattle. He was playing a jazz festival and we were there for, we had to be there for six weeks and it was not a week. I had to pack up the drums. So I went down to the club and we, we sort of reconnected. We hadn't seen each other in like 10 years. Um, you know, cause different scenes and stuff. And then um, after Wicked was finished, I came home and I took a lesson with him because I was, you know, I, I always like to, I'm always trying to improve my playing. That's sort of, you know, because there's always some musical obstacle that you're going to have to overcome. Even in a show, any, any gig that you do is going to be something, <laughs> you know, that you're going to have to, you know, always, so it's always best to try to improve your playing, you know, because sometimes you know, we do these shows, especially on a tour, you can get really complacent when you're playing because you're playing the same thing every day for years at a time, you know, but the world keeps moving, <laughs> you know, you know. So anyway, I took this lesson and after afterwards, we went out for coffee, just sort of catch up again. And he's like, listen, I think you should do a record, you, you know, because one of my other side projects I was did was when I was on tour, I always like to keep the creativity going. So I started doing like film, uh, scoring films for people and stuff like that. So he was like, listen, you already write. So just transfer that writing to jazz. I was like, okay. But at the time, this is 2014. I was, I had just got back up being on the Wicked Tour and I just wanted to see where that momentum would lead me. So I kind of like put it on the back burner. And then um, when, like five years later, when Charlie got his closing notice, I sort of had that like, okay, well, I'm over 40 now. <laughs> Let me see if I can make like a musical statement or something to leave behind. You know, because at that point I was playing all these shows and stuff, but I don't have, I don't have anything really documenting what I do outside of a few like little films that I've done where I'm writing the music I'm not even playing, you know? So 
it was really great. Actually, I, I reached out to him and as the show was closing and I said, are you still interested in doing this record? And this is before the pandemic. This is like July of 2019. And he was like, absolutely. I still want to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. And then we started having pre-production meetings and then the, and we actually booked a date in June of 2020 to do it. But because of the um, pandemic and everything, the studios were like, ah, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're going to postpone it. And then um, in the fall, when things started getting, feeling safer, you know, we just jumped in the chance because what was great, the one thing that's great was great about the pandemic is the, the people that we really wanted were available. You know, when I, when I initially was supposed to do the record in June, we tried to get Donnie McCasson and he was like available the day before, the day after, but not the day of the recording. So we were scrambling, looking for like horn players and looking for this and that. And, and eventually like, because of the pandemic and everyone just wanted to play and do things, everybody just gave me a day rate. It wasn't completely crazy. So I was like, let's do it. Let's go, let's go for it. We already, I already gave a down payment to the studio. So let's do this. Let's make it happen. And then um, it was great. It was great. It was one of the, probably the best thing I've ever done for my career, just because now I have something to show people what I do. And when people say, what have you done or whatever? I said, well, I have this, you know, even, even um, something on Aladdin, I, I saw someone I hadn't seen in a while. I'm like, yeah, bro, you did like a big boy record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a little boy record would be, but yeah, exactly you know, as opposed to a, the kids record, what the exactly like, you know. But, but it was just—I think it just meant because I have sort of like an all-star lineup, and I wrote all the music, and and it got like on. It actually got on like it. Ex, it, it actually exposed me to like a whole new world of like, um, you know, there's actually like jazz charts. I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing when I started the record. I was just doing it because I wanted to. I had some ideas and I jotted them down and wanted to see what we could do with it, you know? And, 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 and also like I could show drummers like yourself, I could show John Redsinger, Hey, I did this, you know, cause I don't have any videos of me playing a show. I have, you know, I, I have a resume that says what shows I've done, but it's, it's, it's hard to get traction without people hearing what you do as opposed to, you know, just knowing that you did something. Because a lot of the guys are like, you know, oh, but you did that on the road. I did Wicked, but on the road, you know. What's nice about, what's been really great for Aladdin for me, the, actually the best part for me, more so than just playing the show and, 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 and doing it and, and having them, them be happy is now all these New York musicians are hearing me do it, you know. There's a, and one of the, one of the percussion subs, uh, we both know, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. Um, you know, we played a couple weeks ago and he, he texted me in the middle of the show. He goes, Craig, you sound so good, man. Like you're playing like a perfect show. I'm like, well, it's just, but you know, but, but that just, that made my, that made me happier than anything. You know, the fact that, and it's someone I really respect a lot, you know, and, and even the horn players are like, man, it feels great, man. I love, so it's, we love having you come in and, and, and just having like that kind of, positivity and re, you know reinforcing you know that subbing is such a thankless job you know you do this you do the show and it's like okay man so you, you know the fact that anybody even says hi to you is like a miracle <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, this guy sent me this text was like it meant the world to me you know 
Now, speaking of subbing, a lot of people don't know what it takes in order to become a sub. If if you could tell people what to do or what you should always do as a sub, what would you tell them? Try your best to, to sound exactly like the person you're going in for. Um, you know, the, I mean, the biggest, two of the biggest compliments I ever got was one when I subbed for you in Alter Boys, Jason Lafredo. You sent me that text. You said, Clayton, Greg sounds like you. His pocket is like yours. And I was like, whoa. And you sent me that text. You know, it was my first show. I'm so nervous. <laughs> you know, I was afraid, like, you know, because that was like all V drums. And it's like, oh, God, I hope it don't hit the action or explosion sound or bump point or whatever it was, you know. But just like the fact that he said that and then you were nice enough to send me that. Because look, Jason was like, yeah, great job, man. And, and then, you, you know, you never know what people really think. Sometimes you really never know what people really think. But the fact that he sent you that text, you know, was it, that meant the world to me. And then a couple weeks ago, I was, a couple weeks ago, I was at Aladdin and, and like, I, I, I'm in the hallway and I say hi to someone. They're like, what? oh, who are you? I'm like, I'm the drummer. And she goes, oh, I thought John was here. You know, like just little things like that. But it like, <laughs> that's the stuff that makes me smile from you know, ear to ear. Cause it's like, okay, like I, I did the, I did the job and they didn't even know that I was there, you know, sort of that invisibility thing. I mean, you know, certain people like know that you're there cause you're sitting next to you, but, but you know, but like someone like the cello player, that's like just a sub themselves say, Oh, I, th I thought John was here. That, that was like, Wow. I don't think I slept much that night because I was so excited, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, because, you, you know, you know, you, you've stopped. So, you know, you put all that work and energy into the thing and, you know, and things just happened. Even John called me. John Redsecker called me like the day before my first show. He goes, listen, Greg, it's, it's I know you're nervous. You're probably going to hit something weird at some point because you're just not, you know, you can work on everything as much as you can, but it's just. In the heat of the battle, things happen, you know, don't, don't let it, don't let it throw you if it does, you know, I had a pretty good show, my first show, but, but, you know, it was just, just having him knowing his support was there. And then the, the band was, everyone was really cool and had, a, it was, it was one of the best experiences I've had ever subbing. You know, I was up there with Alter Boys was up there too, because Jason was so nice. What would you say a drummer should never do as a sub on a Broadway show? Never do? Like, don't come and do your own thing, like you said. Um, I mean, you might think it's the hippest thing in the world, but, like, if it doesn't serve the purpose of the show, what are you doing, you know? Um, I mean, there's even so, a couple... So, wait, you mean I can't do Tony Williams' Swiss triplets in Aladdin? <laughs> well, there is a four-bar drum solo at the end, so you oh, might... Oh, damn, okay, <laughs> I guess you could. <laughs> But but we have to pick your moments. No, <laughs> no but um, yeah, no, I, I would say try not to draw too much attention to yourself. You know, don't, you know, like just treat everybody with a lot of respect. Don't come in there like you own the place because you're really a guest. You're a guest in someone else's house in a way, you know, like, uh, um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't go to someone's house and move their stuff around, you know? I mean, I did, I did have one show, like I'll give you an example. I did have one show where I, before Friend Like Me, is all this like genie music where you're playing like Gene Krupa stuff on the floor top. 
But the floor tom, the leg came loose and started falling away from me. So I'm like, I finished the thing and I'm just like, I just, but then immediately after the show, I texted John and said, John, the drum started falling. I tried to put it back as best I could. Just come in a few minutes early and, and, and just check it out. And, you know, John's like, I appreciate you letting me know. And also like, you know, because you're, you're trying to try, you're just trying to take care of business when you're doing the show. At the end of the day, too, it, it's not, it's not like your butt on the line. It's their butt. You know, they're, they're the ones who are, are going to get in trouble if there's an, the main issue. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, don't have this guy come in again, but then, like, you know, I'm sure you came back and you probably heard, like, from the actors, or what was that guy? What was up with that guy, right? I mean, that even being on tour, like, you know, like, that happens if, if something weird happens. Anything unusual that's not the show, that you, what they're used to hearing, they freak out about, you know? Not just the actors, but the band, too, you know? So, you know, you're just trying to keep... With show stuff, it's just about consistency. And everything you could do to be consistent. And I would say one thing also on a tour, it's not about being consistent musically, it's about being consistent as a person. Like you don't want to show up one day and be like real moody, and you know, and then be like, oh yeah, you know, just, just be cool every day and you'll be fine. You know, but if you're one of these people, I mean, everyone's entitled to have a bad day, but you don't want, you don't want that to be, oh, should I say hi to that person today? Are they going to be weird? You know, because you know, that that that's almost as much as affects your reputation as your playing. You know, I would I would say that for sure. And, and, and by the way, too, how did you keep things musically fresh or consistent being on tour for such long periods of time? Well, some people like to make fun of me for this, but I always like to show up like an hour before the gig and warm up and work on stuff. You know, even if it's like. For example, Tommy and I goes lifetime warm-up stuff, just like getting the hands ready. And then like, you know, I'm always listening to music. So a lot of times I'm just trying to figure out, oh, what are they doing there? But to keep stuff fresh during the show, excuse me, sometimes I'll try, oh, let me try, let me try the bass drum pedal, like a little different spot in the pedal today. Slightly different. Not enough that's going to affect the show, but it's going to affect how it feels to me. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to be dragging with the click, but it's just like, oh, there's a little different tension if I play up just a little bit or play a little bit down and maybe I'll get a little louder sound or, you know, just little. It's I find like the way a way to stay engaged is to play little game when you do it every day, not when you're subbing, but when you do it every day, just play little games with yourself as far as how how perfect can I make this crescendo? How how. How um, can I really bring out this dimension? You know, and you pick your spots, you know, but that helps you keep, keep um, everything flowing and your mind active, you know? Like, I mean, I, I see some people that are like watching like, you know, sports and sporting events during the show and it's like, okay, that's cool. But like, it's kind of like, why are you here? You know, like we're trying to, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm like get off my lawn when it comes to that. But, but I'm also like I'm also like as a musician, like I would. I don't know. I was a musician that sort of like bums me out because I'm putting a hundred percent in. You know, I'm. I'm. I mean, there's days where I don't, and there's day on the tour. There's days where you don't feel a hundred percent, but you still have to try. 
you know, it's, it never, the effort never goes below a certain level. It's just something like on that Sunday matinee, you might, might just be struggling a little bit. Like, because, you know, you just finished the show at 11 o'clock and you didn't sleep well the night before. You, you know, there's a lot of variables that also, you know, life, the road, road life is all about adjusting and doing the best you can. You still got to get through a two show day, but it's never, the thing with me is that it's, the, the, with the touring and stuff, the music is never boring. It's just sometimes it's more challenging because of various things. You know, it's like your seventh time doing it. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I did Wicked, you know, there's a lot of those like scenes where I'm just doing like wind chimes and the Wicked Witch of the East, you know, and, you know, I'd have a book out ready to, you know, in between like when I had like long rests, I would, I would like, you know, but that also kept me mentally engaged too. You know, I never, it was never like reading anything that was like super deep where I was good. I would forget to do a cue. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it was just like little, like, like something like Bill Bryson, like where it talks about like all the different ways you can get killed in Australia or something, you know, like, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like, and then you hear like, ah, ah, it's like, oh, time to get ready. Put the book down, grab the sticks, you know, like, you know, here's some kind of confrontation on stage. Okay, let's do it. Okay, here we go. And then you play it and then it's cool. And then it's like a three hour show doesn't feel like an eternity. You know, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do the things that you've already done, like do tours or sub on Broadway shows? What, what, what would you tell somebody? It's like, you know what, kid, this is what you need to do. That's a great question. Um, learn as much music as you can. Um, that's the first thing. And then also, like, I, like I was sort of saying, implying, like, get your people skills together too. Like, a lot of times you musicians, we, we spend so much, and I'm guilty of it too. We spend so much time working on our craft, hanging out by ourselves that like, we forget that like other people, <laughs> you know, we have to interact with people in the band and we have to, we have to getting started. You have to meet all these people and you have to try to make a good impression on everybody and, and, and just sort of learn how to fit in. You know, that's, that's a big thing. I mean, that's, that's something I, I honestly, I struggled with in my twenties, just trying to figure out how that all works, you know, how to be, how to be a good hang, you know, how to, you know, uh, how to navigate personalities, I guess it would be a good way to, to phrase stuff like that. Cause you know, you, you meet some people and some people are just entitled and some people are obnoxious and, you know, and some people can really get under your skin, but you still have to like, try to not let that get to you and still make music at the end of the day, you know? Um, and some people are really great. I mean, some people are really fun and they, and you love them. And those are the people you try to gravitate towards. But, but, you know, I think part of it too, is I, I know that I want to be someone that people gravitate towards, you know, not be someone that is off putting. Um, I think as I get older, I realize, I realize how important that is more and more, you know? Um, but yeah, I learn as many musical styles as possible. Um, you know, because like, I mean, especially now, I feel like the shows are getting more specialized. Um, you know, like, you know, like even a couple years ago, there was like In the Heights and then like the Gloria Stepan show and, 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 you know, and then there's like Come From Away where the guy's playing like the, that, um, I forgot the drums, is it a Bodron? Or uh, the percussionist. 
I was playing like that, uh, like a frame drum. All those like different, you know, and 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 Larry's playing all those like different little like grooves that, you know, I've never really heard anywhere else. <laughs> you know, but then also at the same time, you know, you, you also have like your your shows that are like straight ahead jazz, and you're playing a big band, and then you have the other ones where you're playing a pop gig, and then you know you did the one with the Temptations, and then you know Tina, and then MJ, and you know, so the shows are getting more and more specialized, especially with all these like the bio the bio shows, you know, um, so like you know, and then before you, if you get a call like that, just listen to that stuff as much as you can that's what's one thing that's great about the subways you just put those headphones in you know you can really kind of like you know i live in inwood so it's like a good 45 minutes to, to listen to music you know there and back you know so that's an hour and a half of music listening to every day you know like um you know and if like if you play like little little shop of horrors or something that's like a lot of doo-wop stuff so like learn that's you know stylistically there's all these different things that we can check out as musicians and drummers and, and uh, you know, and then the more versatile, the more well-rounded you are, the more chances you ha have of being able to fit in musically into a band as well. You know, I mean, especially because you're doing readings, like especially you do readings and you're creating stuff, you have to have a palette to choose from. <laughs> you know, if someone says, hey, can you play the, uh, can you play this like so-and-so, you have to sort of, have an understanding of what that is, what that, what he means that like interpreting what the director or whoever's trying to tell you to do that, you know, the kind of equipment that you use, are you a very particular person? It's like, I only use Yamaha drums. I only use those cymbals and this brand and this, that, what do you, what do you use generally? I, I try to use whatever's best for that situation. To be honest, I don't have an, I don't have a big, a lot of, endorsements or anything like that like for example if i have if i have like a jazz gig i'm going to use my karope symbol and my this other symbol that i use but if i'm doing a show gig i want to use something that's a little brighter so i'll use like a you know depending on what the show is right but like i'll use something that's a, like a zildjian symbol that's a little brighter but then like i really like those there's those evolution symbols that dave Weckl used that, that he sort of helped create. So I was using those on the road for a while. Um, you know, so I, I sort of like, as long as I'm happy with the sound, it's cool. I'm, I'm cool. I mean, I, I've, I've toured with uh, Yamaha drums and I've also toured DW drums on my last two tours. Um, I use my, my DW ser uh, series drums. But I couldn't, I'm so bad, I couldn't even tell you what model it is. <laughs> I just know they sound good. <laughs> I hear you. I'm kind of the same way. Uh, now you have a album out. It's on yep. uh, CD, eight track cassette, LP. <laughs> <laughs> and can people find it uh, on uh, iTunes and other places like that? Yeah, it's called uh, Greg German Tales of Time. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes. You can contact me. I have CDs. If you want to sign CD, I'd be more than happy to send you one. Um, I, I still have a couple boxes of CDs. So, you know, because who has CDs these days, right? But if you want to, like, you know, if you want the actual, like, thing to hold in your hand and read the liner notes and all that stuff, I have that. Um, 
you know, and also I just did a gig Monday, so I'm going to have some of the music from there on YouTube. If you want to check out uh, my web, my uh, website is gregjermanmusic.com. My YouTube is, I think it's Greg German Music as well on YouTube. You can follow me on all the, the socials as well. Greg German Greg on Instagram. You know, feel free to reach out if you have any follow-up questions. I'm, I'm all for, or, or Clayton, you know, reach out to your, you know, Broadway Drumming 101, uh, you know, at, is that your Instagram? Yeah, uh, yes, Broadway Drumming 101. Or, or my, or me to, to, if you have any follow-up questions, if you're curious about this, you know, if you want like a more in-depth answers or anything, I'm, I'm, I'm down to help whoever needs the help. You know, you as give, long as as long as you're cool and respectful, then I'm good too. <laughs> do you give drum lessons? I do, I do. I haven't, I haven't in a while, but uh, I have like one student right now. Um, but it's just, it's just hard in New York because my my practice space. I'm only in there three hours a a, a day, and I sort of when learning shows. If you run a show, that's two and a half hours right there at least. <laughs> So, you know, plus you got to set it up. So it's, it's, it's hard to have the time to do. I mean, I would love to do it. If, if, if a student's like, Oh, you can come to my house. I have a drum set. Bingo. Let's do it. <laughs> but, but it's hard. It's hard to be like, come to my space. Cause you know, it's just, I only have three hours a day. I'm only allowed to be in there three hours a day right now. So. Uh, upcoming shows where you're promoting your your cd your album do you have anything coming up soon no i just i just did one at rockwood on monday though um and that's that's what's going to be on uh that's going to be on youtube because my my girlfriend julia rohano videotaped the whole thing oh wow yeah so i'll send you i'll send you links when when i put them up if you want to check what was kind of fun about this this um this show was that we did a couple things from the record, but then I, the last couple months I've been writing music as well. So I, I, um, I've been just kind of, it was kind of like a workshop on Monday, like sort of saying, all right, so if I do this, does the people respond favorably? Did they like this song? And, and the response was like overwhelmingly, yeah, I was keep going, keep going. And that's what you want, you know? Um, so yeah, I'll put, I'll put that on there. Um, you know, the thing about my, my record is it's, it's like modern odd time jazz, but I'm trying to not have it be like, so like, what? Oh, that's so weird. That's, but it's more about the, the melody. And I think that's what, with playing so much theater is it, it gives you an understanding of like how the music works to tell stories. And that sort of was my goal with Tales of Time. That's why I call it Tales of Time, right? Uh, so tales of time being like, you know, stories with odd time signatures, <laughs> sort of like my way of, of, you know, cleverly trying to disguise that <laughs> or not so clever. <laughs> Do you think that you'd record a new album pretty soon? Not soon, but hopefully in a couple of years. Yeah, that would be, that would, you know, I have to have the enough material to do it and the capital. So you know, with, with the pandemic and everything, it kind of slowed things down and, and, you know, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, I'm, there's a small percent chance that I might end up on tour again. Then I could definitely do it. Yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, would you take another tour? Right now I, I would because things have been really rough this past year. Um, just to sort of, just to sort of get my, my savings and stuff back on track. Cause I, 
you know, it's been two, it's been really two and a half years with mm-hmm. a gig for me. So, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I sub, but like, you know, it's, it's sporadic. Like, you know, you'll, you'll have one week where you'll do like four shows and then you won't have another one for like six weeks. I mean, actually mm-hmm. <laughs> the bass player said, it says, Oh, is your six week up? Six week up. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been six weeks already? <laughs> I know the thing about subbing. This is one thing people don't understand. When you do all the work to sub on a show, you you practice it for a month, month and a half. For me, it's no less than a month. Then you go in to play the show and you knock it out. You're like, man, everybody's great, man. You sound great. You come in for the second one, like maybe two weeks later, and you Mm -hmm. sound great. And then four weeks go by, five weeks go by. You're like. Then you go back in, you're like, oh my, you got to relearn it again. Yeah. Then you don't go back in for another. It's like, it's, it's, it's a roller coaster. But if you accept the, uh, the challenge of, if you accept the challenge of being a sub. <laughs> well, you, it, you know it, what I find works for me? Just, I mean, everyone that already subs knows this probably, but what I do is I try to review it once a week. If, if, uh-huh. if I don't get called, like, like I'll be like, Monday would be my day to just sort of like, even if it's not going over the entire show, go over just like certain songs in the show, just to like, that maybe have a lot of choreography in them. Cause that's what you're going to forget. You're going to forget to put that stick down. You're going to forget to, to, to like do some like little thing, like I'll have to mute the gong or something, whatever it is that like when you're in that heat of the battle, cause you're watching the conductor and it's sort of like hard to get your, once again, get your head out of the book. It's hard to do that when you're nervous. You know, and, and so like what, what I try to do is if, um, if, uh, let's say I don't get called for a while, I'll just start relearning. Cause I will get called again unless the show closes, you know, our job is, our job as a sub is to sort of stay ready. But, but then again, there's those guys like that are something like six or seven shows. And I don't know, I don't know how they maintain that. Like some guys do two different shows in a day. I'm, that's, that's mind blowing to me. Like, I know at the end of the day, it's, it's music and we do what we do, but, you know, I couldn't imagine, like, what it would be like to, like, someone, like, like a percussion book of Cinderella and then play Wicked that night. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, then, I, I never got to that point. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And just like, just like doing a bus and truck tour, it's easier when you're in your 20s. And, and subbing and having all that stuff in your brain, it's easier when you're in your 20s and 30s. I'm in my sure. mid-50s right now, and having one show is like... <laughs> and in my own show, I'm like, oh, my God. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many times does this repeat? <laughs> oh, man. Well, it was great talking to you. Thank you for... Uh, taking oh. time out and hope hopefully you're back on a, a tour very soon i can't wait well, you know i should really check out your album i'm going to uh listen to it today and uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm really curious to check it out and thank you greg german for oh, being a part of broadway drumming 101 thanks thanks clayton thanks everybody for listening thank you for listening to the broadway drumming 101 podcast Head over to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page where you'll find unedited conversations that I've had with some of your favorite musicians. 
on the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more.